Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the immense blessing it is to know that we are your people, that you are pleased with us through the work of Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that you would take pleasure in us this morning as we have gathered on this Sunday morning to hear from your word. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would delight in us and work by your Holy Spirit so that we are edified and able to walk more surely by faith, more closely with thee as we should. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what are you looking forward to? What are you looking forward to? What does your future hold? Your immediate future or maybe the more distant future? In our household at the moment, we are on the countdown to Christmas, of course. It's only two weeks away now. And our children are quite delighted this year in the countdown for it because we don't have just one Advent calendar in our house. We have three Advent calendars. And so we have two children, and so that makes it awkward as to who gets to open what each day. But basically, my wife uh, bought an Advent calendar, and then my mother bought two, one for each child. And so it has all gotten a bit complicated in our house, but we are counting down to Christmas. We're very conscious each day in our house that Christmas is coming. And that is what, and that is one of the things that we are looking forward to in our immediate future. And this morning, as we come to Hebrews chapter 11, we are looking at some people who lived by faith and were looking forward to the future. We've been working through Hebrews chapter 11, and Hebrews chapter 11 is a part of the Bible that is quite famous for holding up saints from the Old Testament and saying, look at their lives, look at how they lived by faith, and so we should follow their example. And so we've been looking at them as we've been going through together, and we've uh, stopped on Abraham, and we saw him last time I preached, and his living by faith and also the faith possibly of his wife, Sarah. And so we've come to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, and we'll be looking at the verses that verse and the verses that follow down to verse 23 this morning. So I encourage you, if you've got a black church Bible, open it up to page 1192. We're looking at Hebrews chapter 11, and from verses 13 to 23, that's little number 13, down to verse 23, where we read in verse 13 that all these people were still living by faith when they died. These people that are described in Hebrews chapter 11, I think when it says they're these people in verse 13, it's referring to the people who have come before, but also the people who are about to come as he continues working through uh, the people of the Old Testament and how they lived by faith. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't actually receive the great blessings of God, but they instead looked forward to the future when they would be fulfilled. And we see that in verse 13. It says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 
Here we see that these people who are held up as examples for us to follow are people who did not receive the promises of God in the full fulfilment of them, but instead they were looking forward to the future. They were looking forward to a heavenly home and not concentrating on the place that they were in. And this is a principle that we have to understand, that many people are not actually interested in their future when they should be. Some people are quite stuck in the past. When you talk to them and they reveal to you what the focus of their lives are, they're always going on about things that have happened previously to them. They're concentrating on the things that other people may have done to them, how other people may have hurt them in the past, and that is the focus of their life. They're always looking to the past. Or they may be not looking to the people in the past who have done things to them, but looking to their own mistakes, the pain that they have caused themselves, the missed opportunities that they had in the past. And so when you speak to them, it's always about the things that have happened to them previously. They're not looking to the future, They're always looking behind to their past. And some people don't look to the future, and they don't really look to the past, but they look to the present. They're very focused on the immediate future and what is happening to them now. I think, to be quite honest, that's where most of the criminal world is looking. If they actually looked forward to the future a bit, they would see that they probably shouldn't be behaving the way they do. But they're interested in the here and now. What can I get right now. And they don't think ahead. They're thinking about the present moment all the time rather than thinking about the future. Whereas godly people, we understand from a passage like this, look to the future and then make decisions according to what they see in their future about their present. They behave according to what is to come the future of their lives. Now, what is it that Christians see in their future? Well, not just Christmas celebrations in two weeks' time. If you're a Christian, generally speaking, you are looking forward to celebrating Christmas in a couple weeks' time. But in the long-term future, what is a Christian looking forward to? The same thing that these people are looking forward to in Hebrews chapter 11. What were they looking forward to? They were looking for a better country, it says there in verse 16, a heavenly one. That's what their future was about, their heavenly home. And so in their long-term future, they see this heavenly home, and so in their short-term future, what do they see? Well, a life of self-denial, a life often of pain and suffering, New Testament describes it, uh, Jesus describes it as taking up your cross daily and following him, which means that it's a life of suffering often for Christians. And they go through such suffering, that self-denial, because they see long-term future is heaven. And that is where I am going. And so my immediate future, my present life now, is one of faith, despite the self-denial, the pain, the suffering that may come from trusting in God. Whereas sadly, some Christians don't behave as though that is the case. They buy into the worldview of non-Christians that this is our best life now, and we have to work at making ourselves as, uh, as, uh, our lives as pleasurable as possible. And we work towards 
getting as many pleasures as we possibly can in this world because this is all that we'll ever know. There's an excellent illustration in a book by John Piper. He was a pastor in North America, and it's called Don't Waste Your Life, and he's encouraging people to consider what they're doing with their lives and that they should not waste their lives at any stage of their life because their future is what matters. Their heavenly home is what matters. And he opens his book with this marvellous illustration of people who have retired early. He says, I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider a story from the February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest, which tells about a couple who took early retirement from their jobs in the northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball and collect shells. At first, when I read it, I thought it might be a joke, a spoof on the American dream. But it wasn't. Tragically, this was the dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let the last great work of your life, before you give an account to your creator, be this playing softball and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells. That is a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Over against that, I put my protest, don't buy it, don't waste your life. The wonderful challenge for us as to whether we are wasting our lives, what does our future ultimately hold? Because if you look at these patriarchs, these people that we've been looking at in Hebrews chapter 11, they did not waste their lives. They had lives of pain and suffering, but they weren't a waste. Why? Because they were looking forward to the future they were recognising that the pain and suffering they were experiencing in this world was not worth comparing with the future glories that were to come in the next. Now, admittedly, self-denial is not easy. Enduring pain for long-term gain is difficult. Ask any university student. They have to invest in now with an eye on the end that is to come where they graduate. And the good university student puts his head down and studies hard despite foregoing many of the pleasures that you could be having at the prime stage of your life in many people's view. Instead of going to the beach, instead of going to the cinema, instead of having lots of fun, you might be there in the library amongst books and shelves of books and that is your life at that time. But why do the students do that? Because they have their eyes fixed on the future. And so they put in the study and the suffering that goes with the study for the future. And God often calls his people to trust him despite the pain that the trust brings. 
Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, they lived tough lives. Joseph endured much suffering before he became the ruler of Egypt. And even then we read from Genesis chapter 50, he's, he's not seeing that this is their place, this is their home in Egypt. Even though they've got all the luxuries of Egypt available to them, he sees that they want to go back to the promised land that God promised to give their forefathers. And so Joseph endures much suffering in this world. But he's got his eyes fixed on the future. And we also see Moses' parents in verse 23. They hide him at great risk to their lives. It must have been fearful to be Moses' mother and know that the king of Egypt is against you holding on to that baby. And what might happen to her, what might happen to her husband as a result of her breaking the king's law. But she did it because she was looking to the future. And God's own son, he died an awful, painful, suffering death. And the pain that went through his life as well before he died, the way people attacked him, it was a life of pain and suffering. Why did he go through such pain and suffering? Why did he endure it? Because he had his eyes looked on the, to, looking to the future where he would pay for sins and that huge numbers of people would be saved from eternity in hell. He had his eyes to the future and was able then to endure the pain now. And God still calls us to trust him and look to the future despite the pain it brings. And sadly, many people who call themselves Christians often find themselves buckling to the pain of this world and then denying Christ. They're no longer trusting in him because they feel the cultural pressure mounting against them. And you can see this even in our own country, that in the past it was socially acceptable somewhat to be a Christian. These days it's becoming increasingly difficult to call yourselves a Christian, at least a Christian who follows what the Bible teaches, it's increasingly difficult. And there's cultural pressure on you to no longer trust in the God that you once affirmed. I see an example of this recently in last week's Daily Telegraph. <clears throat> it was reported that Australia's Uniting Church, <clears throat> excuse me, will avoid using religious symbols and the word Christ as part of its new advertising campaign to distance itself from child sex scandals. The survivors of child abuse have hit back at the New South Wales Uniting Church Care, accusing the change as an attempt to disown the past in a bid to avoid addressing the situation. But the church's advocacy services agency defended the change, claiming it was the right move to no longer use overt faith-based language, the word Christ is overt faith-based language according to them, after the Royal Commission into Child Sexual Abuse ruined the image of religious institutions. What is going on with the Uniting Church, at least the advocacy group that represents them? They're buckling to social pressure. They're no longer walking by faith. If this is true, they're no longer walking by faith. Instead, they're concerned about the immediate present and the pain that it comes to affirm the name of Christ. Now, if they have indeed 
made mistakes, they've broken laws, they've done things that they shouldn't, they should front up to those and accept the consequences. They should not punish Christ by stopping using his name. But this is what we see. We see people around us who recognise that it's getting difficult to be a Christian. And so they're backing off under the cultural pressure. And as we look at something like this, we can feel anger about the Uniting Church and the way that it's doing things there. But we should recognise that we should feel sorry for them because they've been misled. And we should also recognise that if we aren't careful, we may join them one day. We should have a fear that one day we too will be like them and no longer affirm the name Christ because it may bring pain and suffering into our lives. And so what are we to do if that is a fear for you today, that one day you may no longer affirm Christ because of the pain that comes with it? What are you to do? You're to do what the patriarchs did. Keep looking to the future and live by faith. That's what this whole chapter is about. Again and again, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Keep living by faith. Keep trusting that God knows what he's doing and you are going to one day receive an eternal reward. And so you should be asking yourself, am I thinking about my future? Or am I living as one who's focused on the present and the immediate future? Or maybe am I living as one who is focused on the past? And I'm always considering what has been rather than what will be. Ask yourself the question, how do my actions today show that I'm living with the future in mind? If someone was to look at me, would they see that I'm not just interested in the immediate present, but would they see the way I live, that my eyes are fixed somewhere else? Would they see that your eyes are fixed on your heavenly home rather than on your earthly home? You should also ask yourself, am I trusting God even though I struggle to do what he wants, even though it brings me pain? even though it brings me anxiety to do what he has asked me to do, am I still doing it, even in the midst of such a struggle? I don't think it was easy for Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses' parents to do what they did. It was a real struggle for them. But the thing is, they kept on trusting in spite of the struggle. Is that what you are doing? We need to keep living by faith with our eyes on the future and live accordingly. And godly people don't just look to the future of themselves. We can see in this passage that godly people also look to the future of others. The patriarchs weren't just interested in their own selves and their own lives. They were interested in the lives of the people to come. If you look at this passage... Verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 11, we see that they're very interested in their children. 
Verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 11 says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac, that's his son, as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Now you may read that and think he doesn't look like he's interested in his son at all, that he was willing to sacrifice his son. But what does it say in verse 19? Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. He was looking to the future of his son. He knew that everything would be okay, that he just had to trust in God and do what God had said. And then when you look at verse 20, what is Isaac interested in? By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, his two sons, in regard to their future. He was looking into their future and wanting to see that they would be followers of God and that they would be blessed by God. And then in verse 21, Jacob, it says, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Jacob was also interested in the future of his grandchildren, Manasseh and Ephraim. He was interested as to what would be happening to them. And then Joseph himself, by faith it says in verse 22, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. He was looking towards his future, even his future after he was dead. He wanted to make sure that his bones would be transported somewhere else. He was very much focused on the future of the great nation of Israel. He was looking to the future of others. And then in verse 23, we see that Moses' parents were very interested in the future of somebody else. They were very interested in their son's future. It says in verse 23, By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Moses' parents were very interested in the future of their son. And you see that again and again in the history of God's people. They're interested not only in their own future, but also in the future of others, particularly those that they love greatly. You see they're very interested in their family's future. And we should be the same. We should not just consider that we are wasting our lives, but be looking around at the people around us and see, are they wasting their lives? Are they not looking to their future? What is the goal of their life? Where will they end up one day? I know where I am going now, but where are those that I care about going? And am I encouraging them to consider what is going to happen with their life? There's a marvellous illustration of one way that you can do this to challenge people that you care about to consider where they're going. It's in a book on preaching by Gardner Spring um, from the 1800s called The Power of the Pulpit. And I remember first hearing this illustration, reading this illustration, and I've never forgotten it. I forget a fair amount of what I read. I chew through a fair uh, bit of reading. But this illustration stood out to me at the time. And it's about a minister talking to a youthful student. It says... Uh, Gardner Spring says, There is an affecting anecdote related of that memorable Italian reformer, Filippo Neri, and the youthful student. Filippo was living at one of the Italian universities when a young man, whom he had known as a boy, ran up to him with a face full of delight. 
He told the pastor that what he had long been wishing above all things in the world was at length fulfilled, his parents having just given him leave to study the law, and that thereupon he had come to the law school and meant to spare no pains or labours in getting through his studies as quickly and as well as possible. In this way he ran on a long time, and when at last he came to stop, the holy man, who had been listening to him with great patience and kindness, said, Well, and when you have got through your course of law studies, what do you plan to do then? Then I shall take my doctor's degree, answered the young man. And then, asked Philippo, Neri again. And then, continued the youth, I shall have a number of difficult and knotty cases to manage, shall catch people's notice by my eloquence, my zeal, my acuteness, and gain a great reputation. Law students getting carried away with himself. What does the holy man then say? And then, repeated the holy man, and then, replied the youth, why then, there can't be a question. I shall be promoted to some high office or other. Besides, I shall make money and grow rich. And then repeated Philippo, and then pursued the young lawyer, then I shall live comfortably and honourably in health and dignity and shall be able to look forward quietly to a happy old age. And then, added the holy man, and then said the youth, and then, and then, then I shall die. Here Philippo lifted up his voice and again asked, And then, whereupon the young man made no answer, but cast down his head and went away. This last and then had pierced like a flash of lightning into his soul, and he could not get quit of it. Soon after, he forsook the study of law and gave himself up to the ministry of Christ and spent the remainder of his days in godly words and works. Have you had such conversations with people? It's one thing as a Christian to map out your own life and where you are going. Another thing to encourage others to map out their lives and where they are headed. It's amazing how people in this world are only interested in the immediate present or the short-term future. They give very little thought to the and then question. And then, and then, and then. But it is something they should be considering. One day they will die. And then what will happen to them? And it may be that you are one of the few people in their lives that care enough about where they're headed. And will ask them, what is, the, what is going to happen to them after death? So we, from this passage, should consider the fact that we need to look to our own future and not waste our life. We should also look to the future of those around us and make sure they're not wasting their lives as well. Are you doing that? Are you looking to your future and to the future of others? Let's come before our God in prayer. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we confess that we're often focused on the past or the present or the immediate future. We're not looking to the eternal future, the 
future that comes after this life. Lord, we pray that we may have our eyes fixed on the afterlife and live accordingly. May we be people who live by faith, despite the pain, despite the cultural pressure that comes up against us. Oh, Lord, may we stand firm, trusting in you, knowing that no matter what happens here, it's not worth comparing with what is to come. And, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be bold, to speak to others about this as well. May we not keep quiet when opportunities arise to ask them about where they see themselves in 20 years' time. And then in 50 years' time, and then in a 100 years' time, or a 1,000 years' time. And may they be cut to the heart and convicted that they are wasting their life if their eyes are not fixed upon the eternal glory that is to come. And we pray this in Jesus' name.